And what a morning indeed it is. It is Easter Sunday morning. Uh, today when uh, we celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ is alive. He is risen from the dead and uh, to die no more. So thank you for being here today. It is good to see you. Uh, I want to especially say uh, a welcome to all of those who are our special guests this morning. Thank you for worshiping with us. We're glad that you are here. I uh, hope that you picked up a bulletin on the way in. All the announcements there are very important. Uh, two, just to call your attention to, the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. We're going to be receiving that throughout the month of April. And all the money that comes in through that special offering goes to help uh, train, uh, deploy, and sustain missionaries in North America. So uh, if you pray about that and give, that would be great. Also, uh, next Sunday, there is a Vacation Bible School Worker Volunteer Meeting. So uh, please put that on your calendar if you haven't already. If you haven't signed up to help with Vacation Bible School, but you think you may be able to help, whether it's a day or a couple of days with that, please come to that meeting so that we can uh, get all of the information out there and make sure everyone's on the same page. One last thing, I want to say thank you to our hospitality team for taking care of our continental breakfast this morning. We appreciate them so much uh, getting up bright and early and coming out there and getting everything set up for us. And I thank you for those of you who came to that early service. Have you, and I hope that you've thawed out by now uh, since we were outside. We're going to take just a moment to pray together. Uh, thank you again for being here on this beautiful Easter Sunday morning. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this day, this Easter Sunday morning, the day when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the one day that sets us apart from every other religion in the world. All others, Lord, have to visit the tomb of a fallen leader, but today we are thankful that the tomb that once held the body of Jesus, is empty. And it's empty because He is alive. And today, Lord, we thank You for conquering death, hell, and the grave on our behalf and giving us the victory that we have through You. Lord, may today be a day of celebration. May today be a day of remembrance and reflection. May today be a day of great joy because He is risen he is risen indeed, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.
started in New York City in the late 70s. People sometimes need to see the gospel before they can hear it. When we first got here, there were so many immediate needs that we started there. And so that was part of what we said when we said, meet the need first. It's not the only way, but it's one of the ways to reach out to others. I was homeless, and I was hanging out in a park. And um, I just became a chess fanatic. I met this guy, and I said, what's your name? And he said, Chess Monster. And it wasn't until later that I learned his name was Lewis Taylor, but he wanted to be called Chess Monster. I noticed when it started feeding the people in the park, and there was no strings attached. He fed everybody first. And if you wanted to stay, you could stay. If you didn't want to stay, you could go. So that really impressed me at first. You know, left it to your own spirit. Chess, to me, helps epitomize some of the principles that we're learning about meet the need first. It's not meet the need. It's not just do some, it's meet the need first because that opens the way for so much else. The Annie Armstrong Easter offering, it helps in so many different ways, like someone who's hungry who gets food, or someone who doesn't have clothing that gets clothing, or someone who's having an addiction problem who has recovery help. But it helps them learn that Christ is transforming. And so I would ask for prayer for people like Chess Monster as God continues to transform them. Once that happens, things get out of hand. We'll lose count. And that's our prayer at Graffiti. Let's take a moment to pray together. Lord, as we have spent these past few months remembering the sacrifice that was made on our behalf, a sacrifice of which we were undeserving, a sacrifice of which you did on your own accord, and now we have come together to joyously celebrate the triumph of that sacrifice. We now humbly come before you in response to offer what we can to offer back to you, to the one who gave it all. We come to offer what we can to you. And Lord, as we offer to you, we pray that you would use it to the richness of your grace, to the furtherment of your kingdom, that all would come to know not just the sacrifice that we make, but the sacrifice that you gave. May our offerings bring glory to the name of the risen King, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.
and Easter literally refers to the time of year in the spring when the days become longer than the nights. But for the person who knows Jesus Christ, Easter means a lot more than that. It means that even though Jesus died, salvation didn't. Even though Jesus was buried, hope wasn't. Because Jesus is alive. Easter means there is forgiveness for my failures, grace for my guilt, and mercy for my misery. Easter means that the pain and the silence of living in a Saturday world isn't purposeless and it isn't permanent. Easter means that I can't outsend the grace of God and I can't outrun the reach of God. It means that Jesus is king, light overcomes darkness, justice will win, and brokenness will be broken. Easter means that the scars on the hands of Jesus are telling a story of victory, not defeat. And the same is true for me. It means that I am not alone, not ashamed, not forgotten, and not forsaken. It means that the rain and the storms and the wind and the waves of this world will not have the last word because my future is a resurrected body with the resurrected Jesus on a resurrected earth. Easter means that I can join with a choir of saints and angels singing, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, grave, where is your sting? Oh, hell, where is your song? Easter means that as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed my transgressions from me. And as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for me. Easter means that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me.
Nancy, is it okay if I move some of this? No, no, that's okay. I just didn't want to. I don't want you to get up here and start singing backwards. Because I got your papers messed up. Good morning. Thank you for being here today. Uh, man, great job. Great job. Thank you all for putting up uh, uh, with all the time and effort to, to be able to sing for us this morning. Appreciate it more than you'll ever know. Uh, they did an amazing job on uh, Friday night as well. And if you missed that, boy, I tell you, you missed a, missed a real blessing. If you have your Bibles, would you open your Bibles with me this morning to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter number 10. And today we're going to step aside from the um, series that we've been doing just for a special uh, message for Easter today. And we're going to find it in Hebrews chapter 10. Today we're going to be looking at the word perfect. Well, wait a minute. Is it perfect? Well, we're going to find out from Scripture today. Let's read together from Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse number 1, reading down through verse number 18. For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. And whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. After saying above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. By this will he have been, we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time forward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time, those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart, and on their mind I will write them. He then says, in their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. Let's pray together. Father, again, thank you for the privilege and honor of being in this 
house of worship on this beautiful Easter Sunday morning. And thank you for every person who's turned aside from their busy schedule to be a part of, of our celebration together of the very truth and the fact that's been proclaimed in your word today that Jesus, once and for all, has given the ultimate sacrifice for all time, for all sin, so that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord can be saved. They will be saved. That the doors of heaven have been made available to any person who will come to Jesus and receive from him that which he offers that nothing on this planet can offer. That is forgiveness of sin. That is the righteousness that only he can provide. That is peace with God and payment for our judgment. Lord, thank you for what you've done for us. May our hearts be filled with joy as we study your word today is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. The word perfect is a unique word in that it can be used as both a verb and an adjective. Now, I'm not trying to give you a grammar lesson today, but it is important to note that fact as we're reading this scripture. But here's the catch. The same word is pronounced a different way with each use. When we use it as an adjective, we pronounce the word perfect. Putting the strong sound on the front part of the word. But when we use it as a verb, we pronounce it perfect. Putting the emphasis on the last part. Of the word. When used as an adjective, the word is pronounced perfect, and that means to being entirely without fault or defect. That means that it's flawless. Now, when we use it as a verb, we pronounce it perfect, and that means something a little different. It means to bring something into its final form. That means While flawless is what it means to be perfect, to perfect something means to to finish it, to complete it, to bring it about to be in its very final form. Now, I want to submit to you this morning on this beautiful Easter Sunday that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus was necessary for God to both make us perfect, which means make us flawless, And to perfect us, which is to bring us into our final form. I want you to notice three certainties that are presented in the scripture that we've looked at together this morning. In the first four verses of chapter 10, we saw that there is a fundamental demand of the law. In fact, that's what these verses try to tell us is that that what the law demands of you and what the law demands of me, these, the, the law that God gave so that we could obey and walk in right relationship with Him, they demand perfection. They demand that they, every law is followed to the letter. 
that every I is dotted, every T is crossed, every part of the law must be obeyed as it is written in order for us to be justified by that law. But the thing is, he demands perfection from us, but the law can't provide perfection for us. Verse 1 tells us that the law couldn't make us perfect. It couldn't make us flawless. Nor could it perfect us or bring us into our final form. Now, the problem is not with the law that God gave us. The problem is not the law. In fact, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8 says, But we know that the law is good if, it, if one uses it lawfully. In other words, if, you, if we have the law and we obey it perfectly, then the law is good. It, it has accomplished exactly what we want. But here's, herein lies the problems. If it demands perfection, I have a problem because I'm not perfect. But before you point your finger at me, you're not perfect either. None of us are flawless. All of us, according to Scripture, have sinned and come short of God's glory. Every person on this planet right now has violated God's law in some shape, fashion, or form. So therefore, because we have not perfectly kept the law, none of us are perfect. All of us are flawed. And God desires... To make us flawless. Now, you may read through the Ten Commandments given in Exodus chapter 20. And you say, well, well, Tommy, I've been really good and moral person. And I can honestly say, Tommy, that I've kept most of these. I, I, I mean, you know, out of, the, out of those Ten Commandments that were given, I, I would say that, you know, Tommy, I've, I've really been a pretty good person, and I've really tried to work hard, and I've tried to keep my nose clean, I've tried to live a good life. I can say that I've kept, uh, let's say, eight out of ten. That's a good average, isn't it? Eight out of ten, that's a good, that's a good average. But listen to what the Bible says. For whoever keeps the entire law yet fails in one point is guilty of breaking all the law. So here's the thing. If, if I'm almost perfect, then I'm imperfect. Perfect means flawless in every way. But I am not perfect and you are not perfect. This is why year after year and time after time, we read about in the Old Testament where people brought these sacrifices to the temple. They brought them to the tabernacle, then the temple, and they would give them and they would offer these sacrifices over and over and over again because the truth was that keeping that law of sacrifices could not perfect them. It couldn't make them perfect and flawless in any way. So they had to do it continually and continually. Over again. If these sacrifices had made people perfect, which is flawless before God, or if it had perfected them, then the sacrifices would only need to be given one time for each person. But as we read this, we, uh, we come to that realization that there is a demand 
that the law puts on us that we cannot keep. No matter how hard we try, no matter how many leaves we turn over, no matter how many fresh starts we try, no no matter how many resolutions we make, no matter how determined we may become, none of us can be perfect. Look at Hebrews chapter 10 verse 2. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sin. They wouldn't need sacrifices anymore if the law, if they could keep the law. So here's the bottom line. The law of God demands perfection. And no matter how many sacrifices we offer, each of us are still captive to our sin. You can offer sacrifices of your time. You can offer sacrifices of your money. You can offer sacrifices of your energy. You can offer whatever resources you may have. You can offer whatever sacrifice you want, but it will not perfect you. You're still a sinner in need of grace. You're still a transgressor of the law. So that points us to The second certainty that we found in this scripture begins in verse number 5. Well, if the first part shows us that, that fundamental demand of the law, then the second section of this scripture shows us the foundational truth of the gospel. Because he, then he tells us that, that God has said, it's not another sacrifice that I need. It's not that we just have given one sacrifice too little to reach what God wants us to reach, that perfection. It means that no matter how many we give, we'll never be perfected. But the truth of the gospel, this foundational truth, is that God demanded something that we could not give, and that was a perfect sacrifice that was given not just from the animal kingdom, but a perfect sacrifice from the human race. And that was going to be the only sacrifice that would suffice. And so, who would that perfect person be? Who would be that perfect one to lay down their life? Who would it be? God fully understood that our sinfulness prohibited us from perfectly obeying the law. Then if our imperfection is condemning us to judgment, and it is, then only that perfect sacrifice made by a perfect human could atone for all of our imperfection. Are you with me so far? I know we got up early this morning. Stay with me. The sacrifice and the blood of animals could only provide a temporary covering for our sin. Only the death of a perfect man could give us hope of being permanently forgiven. The foundational truth of the gospel is this. That Jesus is that perfect man. That Jesus, who is God in the flesh, came to accomplish for us that which Only He could do. Why must we celebrate Easter? Why is it so important? Why do Christians hinge 
and place so much significance on this one day because this one day is what gives each of us the right to stand before God perfect. This one day That one sacrifice. You see, he came, Jesus came to lay down his perfect life so that you and I could have forgiveness and atonement for our imperfect life. And the cost of of our imperfection and inability to keep God's law exactly is eternal death and eternal separation from God. That's why the Bible says not only that all have sinned and come short of God's perfection, but it also says that the end result of our imperfection is death. And it's not talking about the death that lays us in a grave somewhere in a cemetery. It's talking about a death that eternally separates us from God. It's talking about a death that, that takes away all hope and, and, and all help for ever having an audience with God. It, it's talking about an eternity spent in darkness and in pain and separation and in judgment for our imperfection. And Jesus came to provide a way for you to be able to stand before God perfect, flawless, you know, I, I, I like that. I, as I was studying this and I was putting my notes together uh, and, and I found myself sitting back in, in my chair and, and, and looking at my reflection even in the monitor that was in front of me and, and I thought, I'm perfect. Not perfect in man's eyes. Not perfect in that I do everything correctly. Not perfect in that I make no mistakes. Not perfect in that I never sin any longer. Not perfect in that everything is just in line in my life. But I am perfect before God because Jesus has set me free from my sin. And I'm able to stand before God as a perfect person, not because of what I have done, but because of what Jesus has accomplished on my behalf. I am not perfect in my own self. I am perfect in Christ. That's the fundamental truth of the gospel. You are imperfect, but Jesus can make you perfect. By accepting his death and his burial and resurrection as our only hope, then something beautiful begins to happen. Not only are you declared perfect, which is flawless before God, but suddenly something else begins to take place. He begins to perfect us. Perfect us means to bring us into our final form. What is the final form of every born-again believer? The final form of every born-again believer is sinless before God. He's perfecting us now. That's why Jesus boldly proclaimed in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life and no man comes to the Father unless he comes by me. The only way imperfection can come before a holy God is we have to go through a perfect Jesus to get to him. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father unless he comes through the perfection of Christ. That's our only hope and our only way. And if we come through Christ who is that perfect person, he begins to perfect us. 
Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. We read it just a moment ago, but I, I love what it says. It says, by this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. The word sanctified there used in this verse literally means we have been perfected. We have been made perfect. That is the foundation of the gospel. That's, that's the message we carry as believers, as Christians on this Easter morning is that the only hope that any of us have to be able to stand in a, in a perfect heaven before a perfect God is to be perfected through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the foundation of the gospel. There's one more certainty that we need to mention this morning. There is that fundamental demand of the law that says that if you want to be right with God, you've got to be perfect. And none of us can do that. There is that foundational truth of the gospel that says that Jesus, who is the perfect man, came to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And that is to die on our behalf so that our sins could be forgiven. But then there is this third certainty that's mentioned in this passage and we find it taking place in verse 11 down through verse number 18 the first few verses of this chapter reminded us that before Jesus came the sacrifices of animals had to be made continually Every single year on a certain day, you had to come to the temple. You had to bring these animals. You had to give those sacrifices on behalf of your sin. And even then, the best that those offerings could do for any of us was offer a temporary covering for sin. That's why it had to be done over and over again. But then, Jesus came. The just came to die for the unjust. The perfect came to die for the imperfect. And verse 10 says something so amazing that I don't want us to miss it because it says that that sacrifice that Jesus offered was once for all. Once. It was so supreme in its being. It was so perfect. And that it was the Holy Son of God without spot and without blemish, without sin. He was sinless in every way that when He died, He died for every single sin. Once and for all. Verse 14 adds to it by saying, For by one offering He has perfected, brought to its final end, for all times those who are being sanctified, made perfect. I know I hear this sometimes. I I bet you may hear it too. In fact, you may have even thought this or felt this at some point. There's some who would say, you know, I was saved when I was young, or I was saved as a teenager, I used to be saved, but man, I have messed up now. My life's a mess. I mean, I've made some, I've made some poor decisions. I've made some wrong turns. 
I've, I've, I've stepped out of bounds. I've, I've walked away from my faith maybe a time or two, or maybe I'm still there. I've, I've not done what I know I'm supposed to do. I, 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 was, I was saved when I, was, when I was little. I was saved when I was young. But I just, I don't think I am anymore. There are many who feel that way. You may feel that way today. I once was saved. I remember in vacation Bible school, or I remember at youth camp, or I remember in that Sunday school class, I remember uh, with my grandparents, I remember during a revival, I remember feeling so overcome by my sin, and, and I knew I needed Jesus, and I remember at that moment praying a prayer and feeling that, that, that sudden relief that came with the burden being lifted off of me. I felt so clean, preacher. I felt so forgiven. I just don't feel that way anymore. Boy, have I got great news for you. When you came to Jesus and you surrendered your life to Him, and if you truly did that, I'm not talking about just pray a prayer. I'm not talking about just get dunked in some water. I'm not talking about just going through some ritual, but I'm talking about you truly came to Jesus and said, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner, and you are my only hope, and Lord, I surrender my life to you. If you did that, He not only washed you from the sins of your past, He washed you from the sins of the present and He washed you from the sins of the future. You still today stand perfect before God. Oh, preacher, you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. You don't know how far I've slid. You, you, don't, you don't know how, how, how out of bounds I am right now. You don't know how messed up things are. You're right, I don't. But I do know this. I know how permanent the sacrifice of Jesus is. And I know how permanent His grace is. And I know how permanent His, His salvation is. And that's what we're reading here is, is that He's telling us that you don't have to have Jesus be crucified for you yet again. You don't ha- he doesn't have to go back to a cross. He doesn't have to go back into a tomb. And He doesn't have to come out a second time because you messed up. When you gave your life to Jesus, He washed you clean forever. And ever and ever. And today, you if you truly have surrendered your life to Jesus, you are as saved today as you were as that young man or young woman that bowed before God and surrendered your life that day. You have not lost your salvation. You may have let your faith grow weak. Your devotion may have gone by the wayside. But good news, believer. He has not abandoned you. And He has not cast you aside. His one perfect sacrifice was sufficient to cover the sins of your lifetime. His one perfect sacrifice was sufficient to cover all of our imperfections. Now that doesn't give us a permission or a license to live selfishly, or to intentionally disobey God's Word. However, it does 
give us assurance and confidence that God has not walked away from us. He has not abandoned us. He hasn't pushed us to the side. The Bible says that He'll never leave us or forsake us. And while you may still be walking in your imperfection and you've failed Him many times, He will not fail you. You are His because you have given your life to Him and you've been purchased by His blood. I have just a couple of questions as we close out our time together. The first one is very simple. Are you still trying to earn God's forgiveness by offering your sacrifices today? Are you still trying to earn His forgiveness? Are you, are you trying to be moral enough? Are you trying to be religious enough? Are you trying to be benevolent enough? Are, 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 are you just... Are you trying to do something to make God like you more? Love you more? Or, or to cover the guilt of where you've been and what you've done? Are, are you still trying to do that? Have you come to a place in your lifetime where you have realized that no matter what you do and no matter how hard you try, you are a sinner? And that you need a Savior. You've disobeyed God. And Jesus is your only hope. When we have our invitation here in just a, a few moments. This will be our opportunity to do business with God. This is where we decide what we're going to do with what we've got today. If you're sitting in this room and you're still trying to earn your way to heaven. I've got good news and bad news for you. The bad news is you're not going to earn your way there. Jesus talks about this, by the way, in Matthew chapter 7. He said, there's going to be many who stand before me on that day, talking about their judgment day, and they're going to start reading out their resume of all the good things that they have done. Have I not prophesied in your name? Have I not, kicked, have I not cast out demons in your names? Have I not, have I not done all this stuff? Lord, look how good I've been. And Jesus said, when they pulled their resume out and they began reading it, and he said, oh, here's what I'm going to say. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. You that are imperfect, I never knew you. You see, he doesn't want your works. He wants your life. He wants you to surrender your life to him. And if you haven't given your life to Jesus I cannot think of a better day than Easter Sunday to do just that. Believer, have you walked away from your faith? Oh, man, you used to be so excited. When you, were, when you first gave your life to Jesus, man, I want to tell you, you were so on fire. You were so excited. I mean, you, you couldn't wait to get to church. You couldn't wait to sing the songs. You couldn't wait to, to, to get a chance to pray and your class, you, could, you just couldn't wait to do those things. And now it just seems like those things are so far away from you today. Can I tell you something? God hasn't walked away from you. He still loves you. And you're still His. You've walked away from Him. And today He just invites you home. 
as a father that stands at the door of his home waiting for that wayward child. He's not kicked you out of the family. He's not disowned you. He still loves you. And he's inviting you back home. And maybe today is the day, believer, just need to go back home. When we sing this song in just a few moments, I invite you to do just that. This altar is open. You're more than welcome to come and bow in this altar and pray if you so choose to do so. But can, can I tell you something? If you say, well, well, Tommy, if that's the only place I can do business with God, I, I may not do business with God today. You can do business with God right where you are. You can pray right there in that pew where you're sitting right now. And you can make things right with God. He invites you to do so today. He wants you to be perfect while he perfects you. Let's pray. Father, what a beautiful truth of Scripture. Lord, when we're faced with that demand of the law that we've got to be perfect, it, 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 brings, it brings fear into our life because we know we can't do it. But then, Lord Jesus, when you reveal the truth to us, the, the, that truth of the gospel that you are perfect, that you are divine God in the flesh and you came to do something for us that we could not do for ourselves. And Lord, that brings hope. And we thank you, Lord, that when we do come to you and when we do fall at your feet and we do surrender our life and we do receive that great gift of grace that you offer to us, that, Lord, we become yours for all of eternity. That you never leave us and you never forsake us. No matter how bad we blow it. No matter how far away we may stray. You still love us. And you invite us back. Lord, I pray for that one that doesn't know you today. That today will be their day. When they stop trying to earn your favor. Stop trying to be good enough. And that today, Lord, they come to you and surrender their life. I pray for that believer that may be feeling guilty because they've fallen away. May the day be the day that they rush back home to a father that waits with open arms. Lord, in these next few moments, do what only you can do is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.
Again, for being here today. Thank you guys so much. Uh, they have a special gift for you. Uh, I'm going to dismiss us in prayer, but uh, then they're going to give, uh, they have a gift of a song for you, and then when they finish that song, we are dismissed. But thank you for being here today. I look forward to seeing you back again. Let's take just a moment to pray together as our choir prepares to dismiss us in song. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you did for us. May today be a day of celebration, a day of remembering that wonderful gift that was given to us in the, in the salvation that was purchased for us. Thank you, Jesus, that the tomb is empty. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.